Hello, welcome to York Street. We hope that this sermon will be an inspiring and impactful one, just what you need at this time. For any of our sermon-based studies, please head to our website at www.yorkstreet.com.au. So grab a cuppa, grab your notebook, whatever you need, and we hope that you enjoy the sermon. I've got a confession to make. It's pretty big. See, I like bakeries. I really, really like bakeries. Um, anything with cream, anything with cream, I'm just, I just, I really struggle. Especially when Yvette and the kids aren't around. Yeah, it's one thing to walk past a bakery when we're as a family, but when I'm by myself, it's like, oh. And I walk into the bakery and it's like, man, which one do I choose? And when I'm by myself, I go, I won't. I'll get both. <laughs> Hands up if you've ever been tempted by something. My hands up. Hands up if you've resisted temptation. That's good. It's hard though, isn't it? It's hard to resist temptation. And, and today as we, we look at wilderness warfare, as we continue our series in Luke, we're going to look at temptation. And with that, I, I want, want to frame the word temptation because temptation can be good too. It's like I'm tempted to read my Bible all the time. It's like, it's great. But today, for, for the sake of this message, temptation is going to be a negative influence. Being tempted to do something that takes you further away from God than you should. Temptation to, to actually do something that's going to cause you harm, that, that, that's going to stop you from being who God has called you uh, to be. And as we read in John chapter 8, verse 36, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that for some of us, temptation is something that holds us back. We're held captive by temptation. And God doesn't want that from us. He wants us to be free. And so if we want to be free from temptation, our world needs to be turned upside down. And as we continue the series in the upside down kingdom, that's exactly what we're going to see in Scripture. So if you want to be free, then today's message is for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we open up Scripture, as we see how, how Jesus lived, may there be something in us at our very core, that resonates with him, that aligns with him. May there, may there be a shift in our priorities and our rhythms of life to align with the kingdom that is upside down to this world, where we are loved as we are and our focus is on him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today, as we dive into Scripture, we're continuing in our series in Luke, and we're up to Luke chapter 4. And I've separated Luke chapter 4 into three parts. There's four subheadings in Luke 4, but I'm making it three for the sake of time and for a bit of flow this morning. And the four sections of Luke 4 are like this. We've got temptation, rejection, and reflection. Temptation, rejection, and reflection. The reflection part of the two later passages, um, passages put together in this chapter. And we're going to see how Jesus himself is tempted. Then Jesus is rejected, 
and then Jesus has to reflect. And, and this is the, the, the flow of Luke. We're going to spend most of our time pulling apart temptation, but all the way through we see temptation. And all the way through chapter 4 we see Jesus' mission, Jesus serving, Jesus doing his ministry. And so let's start in Luke chapter 4, verse 1. If you've got your Bibles, open them up. And uh, we're starting from Luke chapter 4 in verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. It's a bit of an understatement. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is, it is written, Man does not live by bread alone. And so we see Luke chapter 4 picks up where Anthony left off last week. And Pastor Anthony was saying that, that Jesus has just been baptised. And we have this incredible image where Jesus, out of obedience of God's call on his life, goes through the waters of baptism. And as he comes out of the water, the Spirit descends like a dove. And, and a voice from heaven, the Father, speaks. And we see this image of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity, all together in this space of obedience and mission. And Jesus, full of the Spirit, this is where we pick it up, goes and is led into a space of temptation. And he doesn't eat. And we call it in modern days, we call this fasting. And what fasting, what this practice was, is that you go without food in order to spend that time that you would usually use, like to, to eat, to spend time with God. At its simplest, simplest form, fasting is that the time you would spend preparing a meal, eating a meal, and cleaning up from a meal, you spend time with God. And every time your stomach rumbles, that's like your prayer alarm clock. Oh, time to pray. And that's sort of what fasting is. And so what we see here is Jesus is getting on God's agenda for 40 days and 40 nights. He's sitting, getting his call, getting the, getting the communication with his father right, getting, getting on the same page, wrestling through, through the, the, the things that he's going to be called to do later in life. And it's in that place that his physical needs start to emerge. He was hungry. And where does temptation often happen? When we're at our weakest, in our port of vulnerability. And Jesus is hungry and Satan turns up and the devil says, Hey, see this rock? Turn it into bread because you're hungry. And he tempts Jesus. And what Jesus does is he knows the word. He knows the, the, old, the, the sayings of the Old Testament. He knows the Torah. He knows the Pentateuch. He knows, the, he knows Scripture so well that not only does he use the word, but he knows the context. He knows everything about what is written in Scripture. And he deflects what Satan says by quoting a passage in Deuteronomy. And what had happened is God's people had been in the desert and they were hungry and they're crying out to God for food. And we pick that passage up in Deuteronomy 8 verse 3. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you 
that man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. What I love is that Satan knows this passage and Jesus doesn't fill it. He sort of lets Satan's mind go. He says to Satan, man does not live by bread alone. And what's unsaid? But by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Jesus is essentially saying, I am here to hear from God. You can tempt me with physical things. That's not why I'm here. I'm going to reject the physical because the spiritual is more important in this space, in this time, in this moment. You may try and tempt me, but that's, the temptation doesn't even resonate with me. Even though I'm hungry, my priorities are so set. I put God first. I put this relationship. I put this purpose. I put this call. I am filled with the Spirit. I have, I have identity and I know why I am here. So Satan tries again. Verse 5, the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all of the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will be yours. And Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Satan then goes from the physical to the social. Hey, you want this? You, you want prestige? You want, you want other stuff? You want people to like you? You want power? You want authority? Worship me and I will give you all of that. And Jesus, alluding and going back to the Ten Commandments found in Exodus chapter 20, says, the first commandment is love the Lord your God. Like God first. Put God first. I only worship God. Don't worship any other second commandment. Don't worship anything else. Don't worship out any carved idols or anything made from God. Why would you worship something made from God when you should be worshiping God himself? And Jesus is essentially saying, hey, I know the world says that this stuff is important. I know the world says that, that, that prestige and popularity and power and authority are important. But why would I want that when I've got the creator of all that? Why, why would I want to worship anything less than the creator of, of the universe? And it turns the whole thing upside down. If I put God first, everything else falls into place. If I put God first, then, then all of this doesn't matter because I have a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I serve him. Why would I serve anything less? And so Satan has another go. Luke 4, verse 9, the devil led him into Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully, and they will lift you up on their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God, to the test. And when the devil had finished tempting, he left him till an opportune time. And here we see Satan, like the devil's taking him to the top of this, thing, this giant tower and said, if you jump off, you'll be protected and you'll have a, an emotional experience. You'll have this opportunity that, that, that angels will catch you and, and wouldn't that feel great? 
Wouldn't the emotion be amazing to be flying through the air knowing that there's, there's not a big hurty bit at the end? You know? like, and how often do we hear in the world, it's like, well, do what feels good. Be led by your emotions. Try and be comfortable. Like, we're chasing experiences that, that, that make feelings and, and heighten the sense of feeling and stuff all the way through the world. And, and Jesus is saying, hang on, don't put God to the test. There is a higher purpose than feelings and emotions at play here. You see, ultimately, when the devil tempts Jesus, he's tempting the personal things, his hunger, his, his self-worth when it's compared to, to power and prestige, his emotions and his feelings. And the world does that for us as well. We are told that you need to be the best version of you. You can do it. You can achieve anything. I'm using an iPad. It's all about I, 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 me, me, me. And when we focus on ourselves, I want you to know that it's not enough. You are loved 100%. You are loved as you are. God loves you so much. He gave everything in Jesus. He loves you so much that, that Jesus died for you. So love's not the question. You are loved. But our purpose in life is not about us. We see in Scripture, we see Jesus actually turned it all upside down and said life's not about us, life is about God. When Jesus would ask, what's the, most, what's the meaning of life? What's the most important thing in life? Jesus answered in Matthew 22, verse 36, which is the greatest commandment in the law. Verse 37, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. He goes on to say, The second is like the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love others. And as Jesus starts his call, his ministry, we see just that. It, before this passage, we see just earlier in Scripture that Jesus is with his mum and they're at a wedding. And they're at the wedding and they run out of wine. And Mary goes to Jesus, can you turn the water into wine? And Jesus says, I haven't been baptised yet. It's not my time. It's not my time to be doing the miraculous things. It's not my time to be doing miracles. It's not my time yet. However, I will not disobey the loving guidelines that God has created. I will obey my mother and my father. Found in Exodus, the fifth commandment. And in doing so, he turns water into wine for others. He turns water into wine for, for the friends for those at the feast. He will turn water into wine for others, but he won't turn a rock into bread for himself. Jesus' focus was on others and pointing people to God. It was his mission. It was his call. Jesus then goes from being led out of the desert. He then goes into his hometown. These are the people that he knew. These are the kids that he grew up with. These are his neighbours. These are his friends. And he goes to the temple. He goes to the church. And while he's at the church, he, he unrolls a scroll and he starts reading from Scripture. And people are hearing the word of God and they go, wow, that's, that's really good. And all of a sudden their humanity creeps in as he rolls up the scroll and they go, 
Scripture, that reading was great. Scripture was good, but isn't that Joseph's boy? Like little Jesus, isn't that? Huh? Well, yeah, what's, what's, oh no, do we have to listen to him? What's, yeah. And all of a sudden, Jesus can see the pride, the, the opinions, the, the arrogance in those in the room. And so Jesus simply tells a historic event. He doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't say anything judgmental. He just tells a piece of history. And in this piece of history, he points out that each and every one of us, it is our job to have a relationship with God. Individuals. You can't be a great Christian just because you're, you're a Jew, which is what they believed. You can't be a great Christian just because you've been brought up in the church. While it's awesome and it's a great help, it doesn't make you a Christian. You are responsible to follow God as individuals. Each and every one of us is responsible to put God first in our life. And he's just pointing that out in a historic event. And he reads this. If I can find it. Luke chapter 4, verse 23, 27. Sorry. And there are many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elijah the prophet. History. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian, the Gentile, the outsider, the enemy. He was cleansed. Why? Because he put God first. And all of a sudden, those in the temple were furious with Jesus. And the scripture says they led him out to the edge of a cliff and are about to throw him off. And the scripture goes on to say that, but Jesus walked through the crowd and went on his way. And so often in scripture, we get caught up with that bit. It's like, how did he walk through? Did he like clear, clear them like Moses in the water? Was it just like, and there he is? Like, was it miraculous? How did he do it? We're actually... The point is this, we need to look at ourselves. Is there, is there something in us that, that holds a perception that's based on our opinions and not on Scripture? Is there, there something in us that has some pride or arrogance when we look at others and we start judging people rather than seeing them the way that God wants us to see them? See, purpose versus perception, humility versus pride, grace versus arrogance. How do we combat these things? It's, it's with the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is able to be rejected by the people that he grew up with, that he loved, because he was full of the Holy Spirit and he knew what his purpose was. And, and with that, we, we read in, in Matthew chapter 5, when we read about the, the Beatitudes, it says, blessed are those who are persecuted in my name. You see, in an upside-down world, in the upside-down kingdom, usually when somebody rejects you, you take it personally, right? It hurts when somebody doesn't like you. It hurts when people are trying to throw you off the cliff. It really hurts. But in an upside-down kingdom, all of a sudden, we don't see people for, for the personal thing. We actually don't feel the rejection personally. We realise that they aren't rejecting us. They're rejecting God. They're rejecting God's spirit. They're rejecting God's love. They're rejecting God's plan. And in that, instead of feeling pain personally, what we feel is grief for them. We start seeing them the way that God sees them. We start praying for them rather than being angry and deflective or trying to run away. 
And we see that Jesus speaks to people in his hometown later on in different settings. We're going to skip, skip a couple of slides and um, go to Luke 4, verse 42 to 44. And, and what happens then is Jesus leaves his hometown and goes to a new, a new town. And he goes to the temple and he starts preaching. In this temple, people are listening to what he says. And along comes a person that's been possessed by a demon. He casts out the demon. And he's been preaching all day and people are listening all day and think ministry's going really well. And so he goes to a guy called Simon. He goes to his house that night and it's getting late, but Simon's mum's really sick. And Jesus rebukes the sickness and the sickness leaves and his mum gets up and starts serving him and the, the word gets out. And scripture says as, as the sun was setting people started to come to the house. They found Jesus, the, the guy that was at the temple, the guy that cast out the demon, the guy, the guy that healed Simon's mum. And so all night, people are coming to be healed. And all night, Jesus is healing people, he's casting out demons, he, he's, he's preaching, he's, this incredible, incredible 24 hours. And we pick the story up in verse 42. At daybreak, after a whole night of, of healing and, and praying doing amazing things. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people who were looking for him, and, and when they, they came, and the people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also, because this is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. You see, we've got this one bit where, where people are trying to push him off a cliff because they've rejected God's message. We've got another pace over here where they're trying to hold Jesus back because they love it and, and they want to hang on to him. And it doesn't matter when you've got an upside-down kingdom if you're being pushed or pulled. If you have purpose and you have call, that's all that matters. And you can resist the things of this world. You see, sometimes you know, like we, we get so comfortable and Jesus could have been comfortable here. He could have been comfortable because people loved him. The ministry was going well. He'd been preaching all day and all night. And, and people loved it. So much so that when he tried to retreat to get alone with God, to get some focus, they're chasing him, wanting more, wanting more, trying to, to, to suck what they can out of him. And he could have been really comfortable in this popular place. And I think sometimes at church we can want the same. It's okay to want some sort of comfort, we have padded chairs. That's nice in church, right? We're not going to sit on hardwood or sit on the floor. It's nice to have a little bit of comfort. Jesus um, fell asleep in the back of the boat on a cushion. Jesus often reclined at the table with his disciples and had, had food with, with others and, and, and had hospitality and, and enjoyed time with others. He, he liked hanging out with his disciples. He got frustrated and did all this stuff, but he, he liked the relationships. He loved people. We heard just last week at one of the communion talks that um, when Jesus went to, to the, the Last Supper, the words were, I have eagerly anticipated this meal. He's, he's hanging out to, to spend time. And then he reclined at the table. So we see it's okay to have bits of comfort through life, but, but the goal of life is not comfort. The world would say, be comfortable financially, be comfortable with the things that you have, be comfortable, be comfortable, be comfortable. But I want you to know that call trumps comfort. In an upside-down kingdom, we are called. 
We're not called to be comfortable, but we are called to be who God's called us to be. Well, you know, if, you, if you're listening or watching this and you're in a retirement village, I want to know that you are called to be in that village, to be light, to be love, to be Christ's ambassadors in that place. I want you to know that, that if you are looking at retirement or if you're in the workplace or if you're raising a family, you are called to be salt and light. You are called to be God's loving presence in that place to do the best that you can. We're not meant to be comfortable. We're meant to be called. And when we have a purpose, it turns everything else upside down when we put God first and others second. Luke chapter 4 has the three parts, temptation, rejection, reflection. How do we resist temptation? We go to God's word. God's word has the answers. This word is powerful, and I want you to know that God's word is so powerful. So powerful that it has been translated into languages all over the world. And without anyone to read it out to people, the power of God's word in itself leads people to a relationship with Jesus. The word can speak for itself, and people have had their entire lives transformed through the word and through the power of the Holy Spirit without any intervention from, from other people explaining it or, or praying people through a repentance prayer. The word is so powerful in different languages. And sometimes we get hung up on the translation. What about this translation? What about this translation? It is the living word of God. It can speak for itself. And when we're tempted, this will help us. Now, I want you to know that that's, that's a lifelong journey to get to know this. I want you to know that there were things that I preached when I was a teenager that were absolute heresy. They were terrible. They were absolutely wrong. Now, between me and God, my heart was pure. I, I didn't seek to teach the wrong thing. I didn't seek to, to do anything wrong. And I, God's not going to judge me and cast me out of heaven because I preached something in the Word or gave a testimony at school or did a, a devotion that was totally wrong because in my heart of hearts, it was the best I had with what I knew. But as I've grown up, I've got a better understanding of this. I realise it was wrong. And I want you to know that... that this book is actually so simple. It says that God loves you. God made you. He wants a relationship with you. And he has made a way for that through Jesus Christ. That's it. But then the more you read it, the more you realise how this all links together. You know, when I was 21, I knew it all. But the older I get, the less I know. And the more that I read, the more I go, man, this book isn't just a book that, that's great to read. This is the inspired word of God. How can this bit from way back here join with this bit and this bit and this bit and it all happens and it all makes sense today? Like, how does that work? It's phenomenal. I read with different filters and different understandings and I get an understanding of the original word somewhere and I go, I've got to read the whole thing again because now it changes everything. And it's beautiful and it's amazing and it's frustrating at times, but it's awesome. We've got to get into God's word. We have to. It's how we, re we, get, we reject temptation by understanding how we're meant to live. And it's a beautiful thing and it will set us free. At times in life we're going to be rejected, but there is truth in the spirit. And what we would have taken as rejection personally, we realize is actually a sorrow and a grief as people reject God. And we're meant to live differently. We're meant to live courageously and it's a good thing. And we, we, we don't feel it personally, we just feel sorrow and we show grace and mercy, but we're called to stand and live differently. 
And I want you to know when it comes to times of reflection that a call often comes in the quiet. If Jesus had to retreat for 40 days and 40 nights at the start of Luke 4 and then had to retreat again just a few days later, then how much more do we need some quiet space to hear from God, to to block out the noise of the world, to be able to hear the call that God has on our lives? I have a challenge for us as a church this week. And for some of us, this will be exciting. For some, it'll be scary. For some, it'll be interesting. But the challenge this week is to live out what Jesus did in Luke chapter 4. I'm going to lower the bar a little bit. And what I'm going to ask each and every one of us to do this week is to fast. To fast. Fast means you skip a meal and you use the time that you would use to prepare, to eat and to clean up to spend with God. And when your tummy rumbles, that's your prayer alarm to pray to God. Now, what I'm asking us to do as individuals is Jesus did for 40 days and 40 nights, but I want us to miss one meal. Now, if you have medical reasons or things that you cannot skip a meal, that's okay, skip something else. I'm going to go without TV for a day. I'm going to go out with my phone. I'm going to go out with whatever. Find something that the time that you would use doing that, you're going to spend with God. Now, in that space, I want you to pray for two things. The first thing I want you to pray for is God's call on your life. The first thing and most important thing is that you spend time, God, what do you want me to do? Rather than us leading the way, what am I meant to be doing? What do I want to do with my life? Give it to God. Turn it upside down. It's an upside down kingdom. God, what is your call on my life? The second thing that I I want us to pray for is this. Pastor Anthony and the elders and the staff, we're going away over the next few weeks and we're seeking God's heart for this church. And we're looking at God's call on York Street. And so I want you to pray for that. The call for yourself and the call for God's church. Now with that, I want to offer, and I'm asking that each and every one of us skip one meal. If you're like me and you've been to the bakery and you haven't made the choice, you've got two, we've got some reserves. We'll be okay. If God is calling you to do more, be obedient, that's okay. If God's calling you to do more than one meal, uh, please come and see me after the service. There is biblical practices of fasting. There are some systems and things to help you fast for longer, if you'd like that. And I've got some handouts and some information. I'd love to have a conversation because we want this to be done in a biblical way, in a safe way, okay? And, and God's got a way to do that. And I'd like to lead you through that, if you'd like to. But for one meal, I think we're okay. There are lots of temptations in this world. There is a wilderness out there and there is warfare being battled. And quite often we are derailed as Christians as, as the world has these voices and pressures that tempt us away from who God wants us to be. And we don't want that. We want to be upside down kingdom. We want to live for God. We want to have purpose. We don't want to be tempted by the things of this world. We want to know that God loves us. We want to have that relationship and that freedom of being able to walk each and every day in the purpose that God has for us, knowing that each step is blessed, each step is ordained, each step we are not alone. 
And in that, there is such a freedom from trying to work out what steps we're meant to make ourselves, and we know each step is planned for us by our Creator. Does it sound good? Anybody scared about fasting? <laughs> tell, me, tell me after. If you want to have a conversation about it, we've got some material. We'd love to have a conversation. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. You are a good God. We thank you for what you have done for us. Thank you that you have a better plan for us than the plans that we could make for ourselves. God, we thank you that you made a way through Jesus Christ for us to have our relationship restored with you. And in that we are free. We are free from bondage. We are free from the pressures of this world. We are free from the things that would pull us back. May we hear our call. May we get on your agenda. And may we live in step with your spirit each and every day as we retreat and we reflect on the call that you have for us as individuals and as your church. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. If you would like prayer or to find our sermon-based studies, please head to our website or check the description below for a link. If you enjoyed the video, feel free to share the video, like, subscribe, and hit the bell icon for updates of when we release new videos. Remember, life can be tough, so let's do it together.